Welcome to the Major Projects Association first podcast of 2022. Since we're right at the start of the year, it seems appropriate that we should cast our eyes forward. Um, and this is particularly the case because we wanted this podcast to pick up some of the themes of the event that the association is running on the 19th of January called Reimagining Skills for the Next Generation of Major Projects. When I asked myself, who are the next generation of major projects? The obvious answer was the association's Rising Stars Network. So in this podcast, I will interview a range of our rising stars and I will set them three specific questions about the future. So let's get started by introducing three of our interviewees. My name is Alfie Chimeza. Um, I work for the Nichols Group. Um, I'm leading efforts uh, uh, to win work in Africa. My name is uh, Jamie Gray. I work within the Royal Air Force as a benefits manager within the Royal Air Force's um, portfolio office. My name is Joel Evans and I'm a senior consultant at Morehouse Consulting, uh, focusing on change in transport and infrastructure industry. The first thing I asked them to do was to project forward to 2030. Now that's only eight years away in terms of time, but it feels like a lifetime away in terms of change and technology. And I asked them to talk about how the way in which they are working will be changed. If you look back the last 10 years, um, the way sort of technology has, 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 has been improving and, and transforming how we, we work, um, you know, my view is that well, not even in the next 10 years, but as you said, in the next eight years, this is going to um, rapidly and uncompromisingly become something that is very fundamental and, and important in how we do work. So I suspect in the next sort of eight years, globalization will become a, a very big part of how we work. You know, working with people um, all across the world will become something very powerful. Um, and, and I, I definitely think adopting and developing skills in, within the digital transformation or digital space and technology would be effectively very fundamental part of how I personally will be doing my business. So I think the implementation and the mass adoption of the metaverse is going to be the big new thing. Uh, I think remote working is absolutely here to stay and it's only going to get better. Right, gosh. So the metaverse, when you say the metaverse, what, what, what elements of the metaverse do you mean? Um, so uh, with regards to uh, so Facebook, for example, they've employed 10,000, now called Meta, 10,000 people across Europe to try to enhance this network. So at the moment we have Skype and we have Teams uh, to be able to communicate. Um, the vision really, as my understanding of the metaverse, would be almost like an augmented reality. So I could sit at home right now, I could turn to my left and you know, my colleagues would be virtually in the room with me. We could look oh. at schematics, we could look at plans, we could look at um, you know, different type of projects in 3D visual augmented reality in our room around a virtual desk. It, it just, I think it's just gonna bring us all together, regardless where we are around the world and, and the remote working aspect you know simply won't be an issue any, any longer. I think the biggest change that we'll see between now and 2030 uh, will be much about how we adjust our ways of working um, and, and get in full in line with those ways of working that we've 
almost come to see with with um, from the fast sort of last two years really I think everyone's realized that the typical nine to five isn't something that we, which we need to be doing um, and also being that physically present at all points um, but I think what is clear is that maintaining connection um, and building our networks mm. so I think being able to do those is significant within 2030 and I think what the ways of working that we're going to have is going to have to enable us to be able to do that so yeah. the usual tasks that we do, um, particularly in sort of the project management space and change world that I'm, I'm in, um, will become much more automated. And we're seeing that already with some sort of digital PM project management coming in. So automation is, is, although it's been talked about for a long time, is certainly coming now. And I think yes. we'll be here to stay and, yeah. help, and we'll certainly be here to help us. There are a couple of advantages to a future gazing exercise like this. It generally generates a very diverse set of responses, and you can see that already in the responses about globalization from Alfie, the metaverse from Jamie, and adjusting to a new nine to five from Joel. Okay, they're all technology related, which is perhaps to be expected, but each is distinct in its own way. You can also already get a sense of the values and perspective of each interviewee. For example, look at how they divide into two camps. There are those who describe the future in terms of themselves, me, and those who describe it in terms of their team or their industry, we. Let's introduce a few more of our interviewees. My name is Elaine Faulkner. Um, I was a... Uh... Um, MPA Rising Star 2021 and I work part-time for Jacobs as a programme manager and I'm also doing a PhD at Warwick University looking at the impact that complexity has on project management. My name is Payam, Payam Malik. I'm a principal consultant uh, with Wood PLC. I'm working on the um, water and uh, waste uh, engineering side of the business and I'm based in London. My name is Sarah Canwell. I'm currently a consultant within Accenture and I sit within our um, power generation and capital projects team. I think the biggest change for me is work-life balance, if I'm honest. Um, when I was in my early stages of my career, I put everything into my career. And as I get older and more experienced, I realise that work-life balance for me is really important. And I think COVID highlighted the importance of work-life balance. So. I want to have a job that I love, but I want it to fit around my family life. I see myself, uh, this is a little bit the need that I see in the future of the, the world of sustainability that I'm working in, as well as my aspirations um, to transit from managing a detailed engineering design type of project into more of advisory roles, where the focus is uh, more on uh, making the long visions and challenges of making ESG elements uh, a reality. More important question to answer in, in life in general is the why questions instead of what you do. Uh, we can do lots of incredible stuff with all of these technology, but it's very important to answer why we do what we do. And that needs a bit of a, a long-term vision of where we are going. And if it's really the research that you do, the technology you develop or the project that you deliver has any 
practical justification and what is this contribution to the other world as well as your own internal firm and that is why i'm more interested in these big picture questions and the advisory roles very easily i could say digital um, and given my background my work is very you know, digital centric um, and the way things are going i expect that to continue but i see the significance really being in a greater focus on data. The challenge that we're facing now is really um, changing the behaviours and perceptions around data. One of the things I like to um, bring forward with the people I talk to is really honing in um, the message that the investment in time and money, um, either or in data now, really makes that road ahead a lot smoother. And I found that providing them with you know, practical or achievable examples. Doesn't have to be big, could start small at the moment. Um, whatever helps them visualize um, or they can see their day-to-day -day work improving with the use of data, rather than it remaining this kind of weird conceptual topic. For the second of my questions, I'm going to bring in three new voices. Nick Yandel from the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, Neil Bell from Cavendish Nuclear and Carl Wardle, an ex-rising star from BAE Systems and Raytheon, who now works at a company called Bedrock. This time, my question moves them on from how they will be working to focus on the new and enhanced skills they'll need to thrive in the context of the world of 2030. Probably two, if I'm being uh, realistic, and it's it's more building on and developing certain, there's a lot of the skill sets that we already have. So on the one hand, um, I don't think it's realistic or uh, um, kind of appropriate for me to think I'm going to be a data scientist by 2030. I don't think I need to be, but what I do need to be able to um, to use are the platforms and the tools and the models that the data scientists the data architects are going to be creating so i think and, and again we're, we're seeing some of that already with some of the analysis work that we do in the ipa and and those those platforms and those tools are getting more sophisticated and more user-friendly but i think it's going to be incumbent on all of us that's going to be like a core skill like being able to use excel or um you know word or there are other um software packages available but you know what i mean being able to to be kind of a, um almost a, a, a native in the digital um, and data platform space and, and being able to use the outputs of some of those new um, systems, I think, will be will be essential. And the second one is definitely a continuation, but it's more just thinking about what a kind of multidisciplinary team looks like. And again, it's going to be the ability uh, for policy and project people to successfully collaborate with data scientists and data, art, data architects who perhaps we haven't haven't been a core part of our teams previously, but I think are going to be fundamental going forward. It, the, the hardest thing for the teams meeting, this is probably what I'd put down for the skill which you need to require. When you're face to face with somebody, it's easy to pick up the body language, facial features. I mean, all I see from you now is your head and shoulders. So I don't know if you're fidgeting under the desk because you're bored or because you're, you're nervous or anxious. Whereas that, you don't get that in a team's call. So it's harder to be able to read and assess your, your audience, so to speak. So that, that's the biggest skill which I think needs to be learned by people trying to host and manage meetings via Microsoft Teams as opposed to face-to-face. -to -face. The big change is if we go more virtually, building the relationships, Yeah. Um, you're going to have a lot more communications, let's be honest, via black and white in an email. Yeah. Um, 
and you're basically going to only be able to read body language from the shoulders upwards. Yes. Um, so your soft skills are going to have to change. Yep. So um, how do I communicate with them? And as distances get further, you're going to have more of a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. Um especially like recently I've had teams in India and stuff so communication with them was a lot different than it was communicating with my team in the UK I'd absolutely expect Nick's comments to highlight the skills associated with data and digital given that these have already been signaled as part of the big change by Sarah interestingly Nick identifies skills associated with sense making and strategy that both Elaine and Payam talked about It's about understanding the data rather than being able to manipulate or mine it yourself. I interpret Neil and Carl's comments as aligning with the concept of the metaverse that Joel introduced us to. A virtual environment in which we work collaboratively with others will most definitely require a new set of social and communication skills, albeit building on your current skills of listening, empathy and observation. Our next three contributions come from Tolu Oludadu, who's at Deloitte, Frederick Levy of Turner and Townsend, and Paul Morris, who works on one of the most complex and intriguing of current major projects, the Palace of Westminster Restoration and Renewal Programme. So if you asked me this question before the before the pandemic, I would have said perhaps programming language like SQL, SQL, CAA plus and few others. But I think with the opportunity technology sector has currently, I think each and every one of us needs to be flexible. We need to be adaptable to whatever technology the, our organization investing. Um, that level of familiarity is very important um i think we'll see less of calling it they help um calling it help desk to help us to fix some of these issues but we will be we, we will be wearing a bit of the it hat on our head to fix some of these issues so i think the skill that is needed here is that openness to learn that familiarity with technologies that's taking on that that technology challenge and trying to resolve it yourself when I think about the skills that we need as leaders or as people within that organizational environment, communication, resilience, and then a, uh, I guess a concatenation, which is adaptive, inclusive leadership, and then coping with that, that ambiguity and uncertainty. I think we talk a lot about um, sort of like climate change, climate impact, decarbonization, net zero. And it's very easy that you, you sit at the top level and say, we need to hit net zero by 2050. Very clear, very certain, very clear target. But then you get down to the nuts and bolts. And you get into the cogs and the how. How do I do it on my project? What does it mean for my cost quality time? I think we have come on huge strides away from the fact that oh, all leaders have to be Napoleon. All leaders have to be from an, arm, an army background. Um, all these, uh, when you go to project, you go to battle, you go to war, etc. I think, I think we're far beyond that now. But it's 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 learning that, or having that skills to say, I'm going to take the lead here and set my vision on something that I'm passionate about. But in this space, I'm not. In this space, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to be the, the critical friend, the conscientious objective. Go back to the war phrase. I'm going to be the, the black hat if we go management lingo um, and devil's advocate. 
So understanding the different ways that you can lead knitting your team together without standing at the front. And this inclusive leadership, I think we've seen it in the Matrix Project Association Own Wellbeing Conference two or three years ago, we've seen it at the Rising Stars, is creating that space for challenge, whether that's um, psychological safety, in terms of challenging something that's like operational, whether it's creating that space um, to actually challenge a decision based on cost when it should be based on the environment or social impact. Um, and then we can see also creating that space to really leverage diversity. So we talk a lot about diversity inclusion, huge topic. But the only way that you really leverage that, really get the benefits of that diversity is creating that space for people to express their views to move away from groupthink, to move away from your, your own unconscious bias. And that requires the inclusivity element, which is including everyone in decision-making as appropriate. If you ask me what a skill would be that I would be looking for in the next eight to 10 years, people that can see connections, because we're gonna be using computers to do lots of the heavy lifting, the data, the admin, the stuff that maybe traditionally used to be, you know, labor intensive. We've got to free our people up now to give them time to make more creative use of their time and their skills. And I think integrators are going to be something that major projects of the future perhaps look for as a core skill set rather than a nice to have. That's interesting. I thought popped into my head as you were talking about the future. You may be meta tagged through all of the projects that you worked on. So so in, all, in terms of understanding what are the skills of, of Paul Morris, you can actually follow your evolution of your career through the project and you go into the project you get a sense of how you've interacted and who you've interacted with which will be very cool and, and totally different from a piece of paper that says i did this and i uh, was very good at that the final question was probably the most challenging for the interviewees how can you learn develop and practice the skills you've identified so you're ready for 2030 when it comes in some ways this is the most important question because I think it forces them to come down from the heady heights of concepts and future thinking to reflect on what can I do now? Let's have a listen to some of their responses. Firstly, Jamie Gray returns to his vision of the metaverse and how to prepare for it. So trying to understand the metaverse is like now is almost like trying to understand the internet in the early 90s. So for now, it's continuous research uh, and enhancing my understanding. And hopefully with that enhanced understanding, um, I and my colleagues will be able to communicate what the vision of it could be and how we could integrate it into our daily working lives. It, it could even be like a, a virtual library, like you, you're walking into and you're picking a virtual document off a shelf and you're opening yourself. Joel Evans talked about adapting our ways of working in his response to the first question. In this final question, he places the responsibility for adapting to the future firmly in the hands of the learner, which I think makes sense and reflects the way that the organisational role for learning and development over the last 20 years has shifted from delivery of training to creating a learning environment and coaching employees. A skill associated with a change mindset, I think, is what's most needed, and an acceptance for digitalization. I think that's 
it, it's going to be take much more personal responsibility to do that. It can't be something that you can uh, get a, a certificate for or a, a degree for as such. Um, so I think it's going to be much more learning in bite-sized portions, uh, learning where you can and, and, uh, and how you want to learn as well. So people obviously taking benefit of their different approaches to learning. Um, and I think it's going to have to come from learning from colleagues, those who have adapted and learned those uh, digitization or automation much sooner than others and, and become the experts and then share that knowledge with you. I think that's yeah. uh, how, how, that, how we'll have to learn in the future. Tolu Olitadu precisely echoes Joe's view. Yes, I think one of the um, one of the big skills for me is um, doing a bit of self-learning, um, trying to break the tool that my organization has invested in and trying to see if I can fix what I've broken back up. Um, I think because that will really help with getting that level of familiarity with that new advanced technology that the organization has invested in. Um, I see myself watching a bit of YouTube clips as well, really getting myself embedded into these technologies that organizations have, been, have invested in, trying to really solve the puzzle, trying to watch YouTube clips, talking to contacts, and perhaps there'll be a bit of clinics as well, a, 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 a clinic where you could really go in and do a bit of a workshop on such tools. So yes. I see myself embracing this more getting myself stuck in less of calling it more of me doing my own it issues myself and talking to others that collaboration and yes. sharing of knowledge yeah elaine falconer shares a view that is closely aligned to one of the key tenets of the association the value of learning from outside your immediate environment from other roles other projects and other industries this view is shared by payam malik who also reiterates some of the messages of Joel and Tolu about self-reflection and self-development. For me, it is looking beyond my immediate peer group, looking outside my scope, because I think to learn these skills, you have to look outside where you currently work and the people that you work with. And that's what the, um, the, the connections I've made at the university is really opening my eyes to new ideas, new ways of thinking and challenging me, challenging my preconceptions um, and so I think we should all be prepared to look outside our immediate um, focus and I think that's the same when we talk about systemic thinking that's how you get it it's by looking at other people's perspectives it's challenging your own perspectives. Unfortunately there's not a fast uh, fast track on that uh, of course there are things that stimulate this this pathway and help you to fast pace it but at the end, the big part of it is coming from experience, from exposure to diverse range of projects in terms of nature, in terms of location, and in terms of the disciplines involved with that. You have to understand different stakeholders, uh, what are their needs, what are the main, what, 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 what ticks them really, and how you can develop it. And the people who have been in this path much longer than you to learn from them. So then it comes to doing loads of networking, networking within your firm and outside that, and also the self-development. And the last two, which is about the networking and self-development are the things that really can help along this way to give you a direction, sense of direction and pace up. And these are the things that can actually be materialized in uh, unique courses like the MPA Rising Stars, where you see people in different nature of businesses do the same type of project or different ones, learn from them 
and get a bit of understanding of what's happening out there. Finally, in this last section, Sarah Canoir seizes on what might be called the frozen philosophy. In other words, let it go, which despite my glib description is an excellent approach. Social learning from others requires that you must immerse yourself in new experiences, observe, reflect and adopt the lessons that strike a chord. And in the context of the change and transformation that will undoubtedly characterize the next eight years, unlearning or letting go of your old habits, beliefs and rules of thumb will be just as important as embracing the new. I think at this point it's more really immersing myself a little bit more in that world um, and being open to things. So that's something I've been working on um, at a personal level and just letting go, um, immersing myself and just being comfortable with it. I think that's maybe the first step you can take. And then if you want to become more technical, for example, you can go down that route to, through various different training courses or speaking to people within your organisations if you have those. But the first step really is is that comfort, I think. So, there you have it. A diverse and heartfelt collection of views from our rising stars. If you're part of the generation that will be delivering major projects in 2030, what do you think when you cast your mind eight years ahead? How will your work have changed and what are the new or enhanced skills you will need to succeed? If you're more senior in the organisation, how are you encouraging and facilitating these kinds of conversations about the future? Because you absolutely need to. Preparing for 2030 means providing your people with the time, space and the trigger to look up from their day-to-day -day project tasks and to focus on the future. It's only a short time away, but it's a world away in terms of technology, skills and capability. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please follow the Major Projects Association Podbean channel to make sure you get alerted to new episodes.